Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Unfiltered Leadership with Paul, Chris, and Kalen. Today's guest, we're going to have retired Chief Master Sergeant Anthony Brinkley with us today, and we're going to be covering endurance and leadership. It's going to be a great discussion today. We're grateful you could join us. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Unfiltered Leadership with Paul, Chris, and Kalen. Ladies and gentlemen, we are excited today to come to you because not only has the team been able, we haven't got to see each other in the past couple of days. It's been a busy week here at Ielsen. But more importantly, we're coming to you with a very big guest. Uh, this name has probably been heard of many aspects, uh, many different pillars of the Air Force, many different pillars of uh, professional sports and what he's doing in the sports academies but um he is the name itself is incredibly influential and it is our honor to be able to welcome uh retired chief master sergeant and command chief and first sergeant anthony brinkley to the episode today and chief brinkley uh we're going to give it over to you in a second but just to let everybody know chief brinkley is now journeying on his own program and his own business called on the brink consulting and he's doing incredible things, meeting with people all across the nation. And uh, Chief, we're honored to have you here. I'm so blessed that I got to connect with you again this past week. Chief, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Um, Paul, Chris, and Kayla, it, it is, uh, it's a privilege to be associated with something like this. I think the forum that you have, it makes a lot of sense. I won't even get into what I'm doing. Um, I think what you're doing is vital because in this time of um, you know social discord and financial upheaval and people trying to figure out things and, and make ends meet or just try to get through a day because our whole lives have been reconfigured or realigned, for you all to take the time to create platforms where people can actually reach out and reconnect in, in a different kind of way is noteworthy. So uh, I'm the one who should be thanking you all and so allow me to do that again. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thanks, Chief. Absolutely, sir. So ladies and gentlemen, today's topic of discussion is going to be endurance through leadership. And we really want to sit down and map out the next uh, couple of weeks for our leadership podcast and who we want to bring on and the big topics that Paul, Chris, and I wanted to really cover. But today's episode was really, Chief Brinkley was the absolute, absolute perfect person to really touch on this because... Um, I mean, many people can see this through social media and everything he does. He has some of the closest friends all the way to our newly established CSAF. Uh, General Brown uh, was one of his prior wing commanders. He's got an incredible influential uh, kind of community amongst some of chiefs and senior leaders. And not only that, but if you talk about the background of everything that Chief Brinkley has done, um, not only in his own career field, but he's touched lives through being a first sergeant in the Air Force. He's been a command chief. Um, and everything he's doing now, endurance is huge. And to be able to pace yourself and to prepare for your next journey, not only to set yourself up for milestones, but to take everything you do each day and to give it to other people to teach, to mentor, to learn from as well is huge. And it comes with this. Uh, there are only certain people that kind of have that endurance. Not saying that anyone can't have that, but uh, certain people are kind of groomed into that role. And Chief Brinkley really... Um, epitomizes a leader that can endure the long term to really touch a lot of lives and hearts. And um, Chief, this topic that we're talking about, having endurance and leadership, 
can you kind of cast us maybe how long your career was and then how long you've been doing on the brink consulting, sir? So, um, I, you know, you know, all the accolades or accomplishments or things that you mentioned, um, they really, realistically, they shouldn't happen. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because I was a knucklehead in high school and uh, I, I was able to graduate, but we had a tradition in my house that when you turn, I don't know if any of you have like your favorite dinner plate or like a cereal bowl, but that's your bowl or that's your plate. Well, I had a favorite plate. Matter of fact, I had, I used, I ate off that plate so long, it had a stain that was uh, in the enamel, but you couldn't get the stain out. So when I turned 18, they brought me to the kitchen. They said, bring your favorite plate, because this is going to be a special occasion. I'm thinking, yes, because I never get to eat what I want. I get to eat what everyone else eats. <laughs> so, so we go in the kitchen, and they, they take my plate, and they put it in the center of the table, and my mother brings out a hammer and smashes that plate. She said, you can't eat it here anymore. You're 18. You need to figure out where you're going to eat. So I didn't join the Air Force their, you know, patriotism or things of that nature. I was trying to eat. And, it, and my recruiter said, we will feed you three, three meals a day through basic and tech school. So that's when I joined the Air Force. But over the course of my career, um, I was first sergeant for 12 years, uh, command chief for six. I PCS 14 times in 28 years. Had the privilege of um, serving and leading over 100,000 people. And um like, like you said, when I got out, I wanted to serve in a different capacity. So I, you know, uh, the things like if you all took your ASVAB test or you took any type of uh, test that, you know, it charts how smart you are or your knowledge, knowledge based test without going to college, just by your experience in the Air Force, your scores will go up almost exponentially because of what you've all been exposed to. So I'm saying that to say for me, um, for, for me able to do work, whether it was with NFL or, or with mayors or city councils or you name it, I've been privileged to work with, the foundation for everything that I do came from the Air Force. So when I have an opportunity to engage with the Air Force, I try to, and, and they seem to still like to have me around periodically. So we try to make that work. If I can real quickly, just to let our viewers know something, uh, you know, Paul, Chris, and myself have all met Chief, some of us on multiple occasions, but just to kind of put things in perspective, too, about Chief Frankly's time in the Air Force, my time of first getting to know Chief Frankly was actually 13 years ago. And uh, it is an incredibly kind of uh, string of events, but Chief Frankly was my very first command chief at the 8th Fighter Wing in Kunsan Air Base. But on top of that, he was the very first E9 Chief Master Sergeant that I had ever spoken with. And uh, I was 17 years old at Kunsan Air Base, and I was in FTAC. And Chief Brinkley came in the time. This is the time, the, the beautiful era of BDUs, and looking sharp in the uniform, nice boots, everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> hey, you, you didn't do your BDUs right if, if they couldn't stand up on their own. Exactly. Yeah. You got and, it, man. You got it. Yeah. I was at FTAC, and Chief Brinkley came in as the command chief to speak with us. And um, he came in, and uh, he took us out of the classroom. And he walked us from our FTAC building to our ACE building at Kunsan. And we had a Airman Committee to Excellence building, a building that was uh, managed and owned by all the airmen on base. But that was our home. That was our morale center. That was our support system. And we owned it. And he briefed us inside that building and talked to us about his expectations as the command chief. But more importantly, 
what is airmanship? And I'll never forget how you talked to us, Chief, but it was how those series of events that year and how 13 years later we've been able to connect because at the time at Kunsan, the wing commander Wolf was Colonel Charles Brown, who's now right. General Brown, who is now our Chief Staff of the Air Force. Right. So we have this series of events where now I've come back. I went back to Kunsan in 14 to 15. <laughs> but then on top of that, General Brown has been my compact F, my commander of Pacific Air Forces, and who is now my chief of staff. And I still get to connect with you. So my personal connection to you both has been as my direct fighter wing command team 13 years ago at 17 years old is remarkable. And that's, uh, you know, going along to that endurance, it's, it's, it's incredible to see where everyone is at and all the amazing things that we're all trying to do and still doing for people around the Air Force. So let me toss this at you real quick. One of the things I remember about you was um, when we, there were so many people that were connected to our mission in the eighth fighter wing, but they didn't know, like if you worked in a dining facility or you were, or you could have been an ALS commandant or you could have been an, you know, LRS a little different, but there were so many people that didn't understand what our mission was because they weren't associated with the flight line. And if you remember, Kalen, uh, one of the things that we did, I went to the Wolf and I said, hey, Colonel Brown, I said, you got people that don't understand how they correlate to, you know, putting bombs on targets or defending mm -hmm. the base, except following forces, taking the fight north, which was our mission. Right. So I said, what we need to do is shut the base down for one day, get LRS to provide transportation and everyone that, that works on that base. Because, you know, there's a lot of people in the Air Force that work on bases that's never been next to an airplane. They just happen to come on base and they go to their building. So if you remember, because you still had a picture of the three of us. So what we did was we brought everybody to the to the flight line and we explained to them the F-16 and how it works. And then the wolf, the wing commander and myself, we took pictures with everyone that wanted to come out there so they could have a picture to send home to their family in front of the airframe that they supported. But more than that, we helped, we wanted them to understand that when a guy from LRS or maintenance came into finance, smelling like JP whatever fuel, and they were trying to get something processed, maybe you should have a little bit more empathy for them instead of trying to get out the door when your shift is over because they can't leave that airframe till they finish working on it. So uh, that was that's one of the times I remember you and others like you. So when you talk about endurance, one of the reasons that people don't stay connected to whatever they're doing is because they don't know their connection to what they're doing. Yeah. And I just think it's very important for us to help people understand that no matter what you do. I mean, I remember when I was in during Desert Storm, we were in Saudi Arabia and we almost had to cancel a mission because we couldn't get MREs for people flying KC-135s. And what's the big deal? Well, if you're hypoglycemic and you don't, you don't get something to eat and your blood sugar gets, you know, compromised, it can affect how you, you know, you fly that airframe. So someone who managed MREs was one of the most important people to us during the um, during the war. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely, yes, Chief. Yeah, that's uh, it. Brings up a great point, Chief. Like, so ALS has gone under like a huge curriculum overhaul and connecting the points. Instead of like telling people how to lead or how to be an effective, um, you know, an effective leader overall, we teach them the why now. Um, why is right. your job, why is your job so important? And we, we like to connect those dots and we have like different activities that we do because it is, it's critically important to 
tell the airmen that are coming in now why they do what they do and and how it affects the mission whether you're working at the dining facility or you're the als commandant or whatever it is that you're doing like those have long lasting impacts on our overall mission effectiveness um and the success of us as a team so uh, i'm glad we're getting after those things and that we we did that overhaul and that's a great point that uh that gets overlooked a lot of times because people do they lose their why why do i do what i'm what i why, why do i do what i do yeah. well let me let me say this to all of you and your audience um the the issue that i have a lot of times with our military is that we too often we we look at our enlisted primarily as workers 80 mm percent -hmm. of our forces enlisted and we understand that we have a job and many people work at the tactical level but if you never understand what the second and third order effects of what you connect to or, or, or what you, you know, what you contribute to, then your focus may be, if I move this pile of paper from one side of the desk to the other side, I get to go home. But if you don't understand how that process is replicated throughout the enterprise or, or other things associated with that, all you're going to be looking at is completing a process versus looking, can the process be improved? Mm -hmm. So what I try to challenge people with is, look, don't just leave, don't just come here and continue to just to be a worker. Uh, I need you all to be thinkers. I need you all to try to figure things out and, and, and take it to the next level as far as reflection goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that self-reflection piece because that's what was coming in my mind, Chief, when you were talking about the why and all that. And it's like, um, to Chris's point about how ALS is evolving, I think of that metaphor of uh, you can't, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I think of the next evolution of that is like, you can teach the horse. Can you teach the horse how to find its own water? Right. Like there's, there's right. another level of that evolution where to your point, like it requires a lot of self-reflection on where I fit in and, and what's my why, but, but you're right. I think, I think huge, huge fundamental of what we do. If we can, if we, if we can, cause a lot of times we approach things as, as a symptom, we try to attack the symptom instead right. of the root. Yeah. But that but that's but that's how we that's how we've been raised. So when I talk to I might have brought this up to you all when, when you when you talked about when we sat in this the forum up there for the chiefs and the, the other superintendents and I said a lot of people that made chiefs and, and, and listen, I could have been one of them, so I'm not like you know besmirching chiefs, but a lot of people got promoted because you gave them something to do and they did it. And so then they waited for you to give them something else to do. So I actually reward you for being a great worker. Well, if you continue to get rewarded for working, then what's your mindset? Man, I just keep putting a good day's work, good effort, and you keep promoting me. But if I don't encourage you to start thinking, now when I put you in an enterprise level position, strategic level position, or it doesn't even matter where you sit within the, the stratosphere, because there's still things that you, we should be thoughtful about in everyday life. And so, but because we've rewarded people primarily for being workers, many officers see our enlisted primarily as workers and we've lived down to that. Yeah. And, I, and I challenge us to be better and more reflective because you're working at where things are being expedited and put together and you, out if it could be done better but again if your focus is to get this done and go home nothing ever changes yeah that's a operant conditioning or classical conditioning where you know 
you put something out there and they, they know that reward system's there and they're going to continually do those habitual things because they know that they continually get rewarded for those. And uh, so that, I think that ties into, you, you talked about long-term success and how, how we get there and sustained superior performance is, is something that I attach directly to long-term success. If you're not getting after it um, year after year after year, month after month, and as difficult as that can be, um, like, I, I think we're transitioning into the, the right mindset as far as the promotion system goes uh, of, of re, you know, of rewarding those folks that do have that sustained superior performance, not were you awesome for this quarter or, you know, for a few months, but, you know, continually getting after it um, week after week, month after month. And I think we're, I think we're getting better at it. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely right. We do need to get out of that worker bee mindset that, that, that we have to be that way to, to accomplish the mission. So, so I'll give you something real quick. Um, you know, I tell people making chief is not hard. I mean, I proved that, you know, if you guys line up your ASVAB scores again, you'd be like, man, how'd they even let Brinkley in the Air Force? I'm not diminishing the accomplishment, but I tell people whether it's senior, master chief, you know, we know the criteria, generally speaking, to get promoted. My concern as it relates to this conversation is not about getting promoted, it is about being prepared. There's a reason why Paul is gonna to go to the DC area and do some dynamic things because he has to be creative. They didn't bring him there to work. They brought, work is a part of what you do, but, but they brought you there to cultivate, create, and, mm -hmm. and, and do those innovative things. And there's a great amount of effort and sweat equity associated with that. Yeah. So, so my thing is, I would tell people, don't get so caught up in, in getting promoted be more prepared for being promoted because the most important thing someone's ever going to do is hand you someone's son and or daughter and say, take care of them. And that means you need to know about equipment and or PIMA rates or environmental rates or sortie rates or my, everything associated with running whatever the organization that you have. And if you, if you haven't, and if all you've done is taking the time to prepare to get promoted, um, to get the strike, then you're going to fail a whole bunch of people. Some of the most dynamic people I've ever worked with were like uh, Dirt Boys and CE. And they were, I was like, man, I need you to take this course so you can move up and make, Chief, all I want to do is dig this hole and take care of these airmen. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, but you're taking care of I want you to get promoted. So we can. But I'm saying that to say that's the mentality that I used to love because it's all about the folks that, that, are, that can't get in those rooms and don't have a voice. So then it becomes a moral imperative for you to be overly prepared when you go in the room representing other people. Chief, I, uh, you know, before we even got on, we threw some, you know, some, uh, some stuff your way. And, and at every opportunity you twisted around and you made it a uh, positive for the individual speaking, you know, um, we kind of said, Hey, thanks for coming. And you said, no, thank you for coming. And um, I mentioned the DC thing and you, you, you said like, you know, some stuff there, like, no, that you deserve to be there. And we talked about Kaylin, we talked about Chris and ALS and at every opportunity, you know, a lot like David Carradine, we talked about in some Kung Fu, you spun it around. And in my head, I was thinking like, he's the Kung Fu master. He's, yeah, he's the Kung Fu master. <laughs> but, but it's like, it comes out of love, right? So and we talked about love on, on the last episode and how I don't think we, we tell each other enough um, that we love each other. And one of our kind of fundamental principles is like, you don't have to like everybody because because we're all gonna we're all gonna disappoint each other at some point and make decisions that we don't agree with. But you gotta love you gotta love everybody all the time, right? 
So can you talk about a little yeah. bit how love has, has played a role in your endurance and um, your career and in your life? So um, when I, when I started, I made, I, I made a lot of my career and stuff about me. Mm-hmm. And, and that wasn't a good thing. Matter of fact, I, I compromised relationships or, you know, established connections because I was trying to go, go some. I remember somebody told me, they said, we always knew that you would do great, that you would, um, whatever you did positive or influence wise, we wouldn't be surprised. But the thing that surprised me was they said, well, back then, even though we saw the potential, you were no fun to be around. And I was like, they're right. I was no fun. I was totally focused on trying to get the next thing, sizing up my teammates and my and people that I was supposed to be collaborating with. I turned into competitive circumstances, and it's too much of that going on right now. So, because people took the time to show me love and kindness and consideration and patience to to help while I was getting in my way and sometimes other people's way, um, you know, if you live long enough, you know, you could you, hopefully you can figure stuff out, but but. If you, if you haven't figured it out, one thing for certain is you need help to figure it out because you've demonstrated you can't figure it out on your own. So what the Air Force did for me was it put me in the forums where I would meet thoughtful, insightful, patient people like yourselves. And um, and so the love part came when, you know, as a shirt for 12 years, and I've, I've given flags to family members that their family members are gone. Or I've been in, you know, one of my airmen had a miscarriage or different things like that. And, and then when you see the sacrifice, you know, studies have shown the most stressful job in America is an enlisted military member. So by virtue, you swear and affirming what you're going to support and defend, you set yourself up for a very challenging job. So when you when you get it, when you're able, you had a privilege of leading those people, man, that's a heavy weight. So you realize you can't do it by yourself. But let me give you my quick acronym for love. Um, cause this is what people did for me. L people listen, you listen, you squint with your eyes. Like I'm looking at you guys writing notes. I'm, I'm looking at your body language. I'm looking at, you know, so I'm, so I'm seeing how you respond. If I say something, maybe you didn't like, you know, your body language changes. If I see something that, you know, you do respond to you leaning in. So you listen with your eyes, you, you, you listen with your ears. So you squint with your ears, you remove the distractions, you remove the different things that could come in. And, and maybe maybe cause the wrong filter as you're trying to listen. So L, you listen. O, you observe. I observe by saying, hey, where are you from? Um, tell me your background. Uh, why, why are you responding to something this way? Because, you know, people, you, you hear people say stuff like, they say dumb stuff like, you know, we, we should all be colorblind. No, we don't need to be colorblind. We need to understand the differences that make us unique unique it's not better it's not worse but worse but the reason you you married like Kayla you married your wife is because you saw something different in her than any other woman you met so so when we talk about coming together as a unit you observe people and you see what inspires them you see what moves them in the right direction you see what maybe they don't respond well to and that's the same thing observation and then B value I need you to know and, and organizationally interpersonally or intrapersonally that I value you and that if you if you left this organization under the wrong circumstances because you didn't feel like you were a part of it or you made a poor choice, you know, through some chemical or alcohol or you gave up on your life because you didn't feel, you know, a lot of people come in the military and they have low self-esteem. 50% of Americans have experienced a traumatic event in their life before the age of 14. 
75% of Americans have experienced a traumatic event in their life before the age of 24. Well, your brain's not fully developed till you're 25 or 26. So we're inheriting people who are trying to process stuff mentally, emotionally, intellectually. So we need them to know, you might be the first one to let them know that you value them. And then E, so you listen, you observe, you value, then you tell them, how do we change an organization? How do we change something, whether it's at the fire department or whether it's, you know, some place that we can't announce yet, or it's in, you know, you know, in DC. We, we tell them that you, we, need, we want to empower you to go love others by listening to their concerns. Even if you don't change anything, most things people just want to be heard. So, so we empower them to do the same thing to the people that they have the ability to influence. So that's what people did to me. And they, they looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. And now I'm taking those, I've taken those, those tests and turned them into a testimony. And now they're lessons for everybody. And I'm glad to be a part of your forum to share some of them. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I, that stuff is crucial. And I, when I think of leaders that I've had in the past that are, that I really latched onto and, and trusted and leaders that I see now that airmen trust, they, they treat each individual with those characteristics, right? Like they don't, when someone's a little bit late, it's not like, here's your, here's your paperwork. It's like, Hey, what's going on, man? Because they understand that there, there's always something behind the thing always, right? Like, like, cause we're humans and there's a lot going on. Like you said, you have to understand that just by virtue of being part of the military, you, you've signed up for a lot of stress, whether you knew it yes. or not. So there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Add to that the stuff that, that happens on a day-to-day -day basis, relationships, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. So I think, I, you know, in, in particularly that empower thing, because back to what we were talking about early is if, if you're empowering people like you talked about, but also you're empowering them to make decisions, then hopefully that that leads to that self-reflection piece and that understanding of the why. Let me say something to you. You, you, just, you, you were ahead of me like 100 yards. I was about to say the same thing. You said earlier in your comments, it, see, one of the easiest things in the world, that's what's wrong with our country right now. One of the things, this is what you did. This is what's wrong. It's not about the what. It, it takes no skill to point out what. There's real talent and skill and what you said, introspection and reflection, which leads hopefully to correction, comes with why. Because why? Because there's a, whether we like what someone's doing or not, there is a reason in their mind that makes sense. So add our smart, caring people like yourselves, uh, you, you, you get to the why. It's like, it, it's easy to punish somebody. We already have stuff set up for that. So we, all, we always have that bullet in our holster, you know, to be able to pull out and engage. But we lose a lot of people because we focus so much on the what versus the why. And if we, if we never get to the why, we can keep changing faces, but numbers don't change. How many people commit suicide? How many people have alcohol-related incidents? I remember when I was in Alaska, and it was at Allison, and it was a young man. We sat around a table at the dining facility, and I told a story about why I used to put vodka in a water bottle and come to work and drink as an award-winning staff and tech sergeant, but no one knew that I had a problem and I was hiding it. And that man, that young man asked me, well, Chief, how do I stop drinking? And, and, and I came back months and months, because I came to Austin twice in like yeah. a year. And he said, Chief, I haven't had a drink since. I've been helping people. And so when people, a lot of times we overcome stuff, but we don't want to tell anybody 
how we overcame the what <laughs> and yeah. why did we why, why are we still walking that way but but your but your how will help somebody with their what and, and because you take the time to connect with them you could be that piece i tell people it's nothing wrong with being an ex drunk like i was because that means i'm not a drunk anymore mm -hmm. so if you yeah. ask something help somebody who is currently dealing with that thing. I know I kind of got a little off the subject, but but your point about why is so profoundly important. And I just wanted to reflect that. Well, no, and I think, right, like if you're, if you're a frustrated supervisor that keeps facing the same problems with the same airmen, you got to do some self-reflection on, on what your approach to those problems is. Because if you're, if you're, only, if you're only addressing the, the what and not the why, you're all, you're all, you might be fixing that one problem, but attacking the why and understanding people's thought process and their decision-making, theoretically, that's going to help further decisions, right? Like you're getting ahead of future problems where is if you only say, hey, man, you're late, like chances of them being late again are, are high. But if you go, hey, what's going on, man? Like, let's right. talk about it. Let's figure out. Let's figure out what's going on. Now the chances of them being late in the future are, you're, you're, you know, you're getting ahead of that stuff. So... I think I think that's crucial for both of us for for as the follower and as the leader is the self-reflection piece. Well, I'll just say this real quick. Um, I used to always say no one ever worked for me. Everybody worked with me. Mm. When, when you help them understand that we all have a stake in this and that it's so when you work for me, you're waiting for me to tell you what to do. You're not trying to be creative or innovative. You're waiting for a task. When you work with me, you, you're looking like, hey, man, here's, here's something. Have you thought about this? Here's a way. And when you work with me, you, you're interested in my life. You're interested in my family. Um, you know, I, I, I'm from the inner city. If I came to Allison as an inner city person, I'm sure I could adjust because you got great people up there and a great culture. But initially, you might have some issues with Aaron Brinkley because it's a, it's, a, it's a part of the country that I'm not really familiar with or comfortable with. And so if you just look at what Brinkley seems disgruntled, well, maybe his girlfriend broke up with him or his money's not right or he had to drive an hour to go get a haircut. And yeah. you didn't ask him why, why was I late? Because I had to drive to Fairbanks to go get a haircut. I'm just exaggerating. But I'm just saying, um, all I'm saying to you guys is that, is that um, I think that when we, when we understand that the number one thing in leadership, in my opinion, is privilege. For you to sit out here in this forum, um, on this podcast, People are listening to you expecting something. So that's a great responsibility. It's a privilege to get in front of some mechanism of technology and give out information. Because if you give the wrong stuff out to someone and they take you as a reliable source, you could put them in the wrong direction. I know you all aren't doing that, but it's the same concept with leadership. We hand you someone's son or daughter. That is an immense privilege. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I didn't understand it and sometimes I didn't really appreciate it and, and people suffer. So, um, you know, I, I've, I spent the rest of my life trying to make sure I never take that privilege for granted. Chief, I want to hit on something that you said earlier that I, I was really grateful that you shared, you know, that episode that you had uh, during your career with the water bottle, because, you know, I think you are a very uh, outspoken person when it comes to vulnerability your chief network, you know, Chief K. Wright has talked about this. Chief Hurt has talked about this. So we talk about there is so much opportunity for vulnerability and leadership that is strength. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. And 
all of us here at this table, you know, Paul, myself, yourself, even Chris, we've all endured uh, things that I think a lot of us would say were self-inflicted. You know, us putting oh, yeah. ourselves in things where we made mistakes, uh, we looked at back at them, we've grown from them, but we made mistakes and there were shortcomings that uh, we, we regret. And I think all of us, though, uh, really still have a hunger to not necessarily be successful. We have a hunger to be influential and to try and help people and to lead people. And there's a difference with that. I look at that differently. Like if you have a hunger to be successful, but you have a hunger to make other people successful, two different mindsets, right? Right. And yeah, we talk about success versus significance and right, yeah. like, yeah, what, yeah, what does that look like? But, but with that, you know, you enduring that, I think probably I would imagine during that time where the water bottle was happening, you probably still had this feeling of this desire to want to be influential, to help people succeed and to, to overcome things. And going back to endurance, what would you tell someone, uh, some of our young leaders or our followers about you may be struggling with something or you may have just closed an episode of something that you learned a lot about yourself, but you still have this hunger inside of you. You still have a long pace. You still have 10, 15 years in your air force journey. You still have this, these milestones ahead of you. If you oh. take advantage of every single day, we go back to that term carpe diem sees every single day, mm -hmm. you know, how would, what would you tell somebody that's enduring something to say, you know, you can kick it, you can keep going, you got to have this endurance to keep pushing it. What would you say to that? So the first thing I would say is you get a lot of people like me that are, you know, been in the military. You know, I came in 1984. My first seven years, we weren't at war. So I'm one of the few people that remember the Air Force before we weren't fighting. And then I, I served while we were fighting. So I know in that, that time we had 700,000 active duty and we weren't fighting anyone. All we did was training. So a lot of times people like me will come up here and say, how much more difficult my job was when I served than yours. And I would submit to you, your job's more difficult than mine. Because one, you have like half the force with twice the mission, and then you mix in a global pandemic that no one in this country that's living can really talk about. Um, then you talk about financial upheaval, people can't move around. So all these dynamics that's kind of conflating, coming together, if you will, you all are dealing with that in real time. So what happens? In real time, people are dealing with, you know, sadness and depression, they sound the same. Sadness is driven by an event. Something happened, I didn't get what I wanted, or <laughs> I got something I didn't expect. And now, so that event makes me feel sad. And depression, I tell people simply is, when you're just sad for a long period of time for no reason. So what I would say to you is that, um, at the end of the day, what I think we need to do is one, acknowledge that this is a serious situation that we're going through that can be managed. And two, what you all are doing is we're not designed to go long periods of time without um, connecting with one another. So you have to find creative ways to reach out. Um, and there's a book, if you all haven't read it, I would recommend reading it. Um, it's called Braving the Wilderness. I need to turn this light on because it's getting dark in here. So hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask you if the sun is setting. <laughs> you see Braving the Wilderness? Hold on. I think it's a Brene Brown book. Is it? I think we'll see. All right, that should be a little better. So there's a, yes, yeah, by Brene Brown, it's called Braving the Wilderness, but it talks about intimacy and vulnerability, some of the things you guys are touching on. So what I would, what I would suggest is, you know, we, we, we give terms to things that's, that's not correct. We talk about empathy, compassion, 
uh, the interpersonal skills, and we, we couch these under the, 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 the title soft skills. And by definition, when you hear something is soft, especially in a world where there's a lot of masculinity, other things associated with the culture, if you say these are soft skills, most people, they won't, they won't embrace them. So I think even how we talk about certain things culturally, we probably need to look at. So what I would tell someone, first of all, is that, um, you know, you're going to go through things that's going to, I'm living proof that it doesn't really take a lot of skill to have success. Um, but what it, in staying power, what it takes is to, to one, as you all are trying to do, get people to reflect on themselves and understand its true strength in reaching out to others. When I was the command chief of Andrews, I went to mental health for a whole month. I went one day a week for a month um, just for preventive measures because I was getting stressed out. And I said, well, let me learn some things about mindfulness and breathing techniques and de-escalation and all those different things. And I think what we do is we treat our mental health and our emotional well-being like it's whack-a-mole. When something pops up, we hit it. But you would never drive your car 100,000 miles and not change the oil. So I think we have to change our culture and how we look at self-care. Um, I think self-care is a readiness issue. Your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional well-being, and how you engage with people. And, 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 if, we're, and if, we, if we're really serious about this, then we need to take the stigma out of getting help or being a part of forums that allow us to actually engage ourselves and engage others. But the key is um, you can't live long enough to figure out everything on your own. So I think forums like this is very important. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but no, that's it, Chief, it absolutely does. And for those that are maybe are, are not at that emotional health, or maybe they just got done with something and they're trying to build themselves back up and learn from their mistakes, or they're trying to get themselves back to a state of joy and a state of, you know, calmness. What would you say though, for that person that is, you know, still has their, their intention is that one day is to still be a command chief or their, their, their end goal is to still be an influential person in the air force at a bigger scope. What do you say for that long run of that endurance after they just got done with something? So, so I think something that's important is simple, but one, something, a simple task is, Start journaling. A lot of times, you know, get your thoughts down, reflect on what you've gone through, um, capture how you felt about it, write down what lessons that you can extract from that circumstance. Because what a lot of people do, you know, life is not like the school system. The school system, you, they get um, a, a class or a particular district, they have an accreditation. So accreditation is associated with money resources. And if, 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 uh, if, if they haven't met that quota, if some people are close to passing, they'll, they'll actually pass a few people just to, you know, keep the accreditation. Well, life is not like that. Life makes you take the same test until you pass. So you have to take the time to reflect. If you've coming out of something, if you can try to figure it out on your own, then that's fine. If not, then you get some perspective from others. So one, I think journaling and opening yourself up to different perspectives is good. Two, be realistic with yourself. I, I did a, a video the other day and I talked about this. Be, reality is you can't look at every day the same way. For example, if you get in your car and you have 50 miles worth of gas left in your car, the best you can do that day is 50 miles. But that's a good day for you because you're tired, you had this and that going. But you, you got the most out of your tank. Some days you wake up and you have 400 miles of gas in your tank metaphorically. So a good day is 400 miles in your tank. So just do the best you can with engaging, reflecting. And, and, and if you just do your best, you know, you might not be able to run three miles today. You might have to walk a half a mile. 
but you stay engaged, you stay active, and then you try, you try to capture what, because if you really want to be a leader, like I never wanted to be a command chief. That wasn't one of my goals. My goals was just to do my job the best I could and learn and treat people right. And the universe has, any, you guys have read the book, The Alchemist? Yes. So you know what I'm talking about, Paulo Coelho. And he yes. talks about how when you're trying to do things a certain way, to paraphrase, the universe conspires to work with you. You know, you talked about, Paul talked about love. And when you talk, when you love and you live the right way, opportunities just show themselves. So I'm not telling people they shouldn't have a specific goal or position in mind, but I'm just saying, you know, every day in America, y'all heard me say that 7,000 people die. So if you woke up today, to kind of go back to your question, if you woke up today, no matter how you feel, it means you still have purpose. You might not have figured it out, but you still have something to do. And maybe it could be sending somebody a text or making a phone call or bringing them a sandwich, but you helped them through their day. So to me, if someone's having a bad moment and they're feeling caught up in themselves, get out of your own head and make your life about somebody else. And when you do that, you will forget what you're going through. You'll be actually reflective of how blessed you are because you can help somebody. Yeah, Chief, two things that you said. I, I think, yeah, The Alchemist is awesome. And just a, a side note, I think everybody should add that to their reading list if they haven't. One of the beauties of The Alchemist, I think, is that it's ambiguous enough that it'll meet you where you're at. You know, it's it's not so specific that you got to be in a certain place for it to resonate. Like, it, it'll resonate with you at different points in your life for different reasons just because it's that good, right? Um, the other thing that I, I heard you say that I relate to something I had heard on a podcast I follow recently is, um, I follow this, this fitness program and there's like, it's meant for like elite athletes and there's like eight pieces a day, right? Like it's like two and a half hours of work and it's meant to like do two a days and get some rest in between. And I have anxiety, like when I can't get them all in and I can never get them in. But on the podcast recently, the head coach said, and it was like he was talking directly to me, but he was like, you can't, you should never go into a training day with the expectation to get it all in. Right. You approach the first piece and get the first piece done and then see how you feel. See if you can get the next piece done and then get the next piece done and then see if you can get the next piece done. Right. And, but, but never go into it with the expectation that you're going to get all those pieces in and, and kind of like what you're saying, right? Like, like get up and be thankful that you got up. And then make your bed and be right. thankful you, you made your bed. And then look at your to-do list and, and attack one piece and be thankful you got that piece done and so on and so forth. And before you know it, you're looking back on this road of, of successes and you're out of the eye of the storm and whatever that thing is, is behind you and you've got a track record of, of wins behind you, right? It's like, it doesn't happen all at once. You can't approach that, that big mountain all by itself, like, like one piece, you know? Well, again, 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 my, my point, you, you said it a different way. Every, you can't, every day is not going to be the same. If you have the right. flu, you're not going to exercise the same as, as you, when you don't have the flu. And, or if you don't feel well or, or you had a, you know, when my father died, I went to work, but I didn't, I did the best I could during that period, but I wasn't, I did my best, but I wasn't at my best. Does that make sense? Absolutely, you, you, yeah. You do the best with what you have. So I'm just saying sometimes we make unrealistic expectations. Every day you're going to do this. Every day yeah. you're not going to do that. It's 110%. Impossible. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. How can I get 110% out of 100%? Yeah, it doesn't even happen, make sense. Right? Like, <laughs> anyway, yeah. I don't want to, you know, wear you guys out with platitudes. No, no I, I like your platitudes. Um, Chief, maybe we got, we got time for one more. And maybe if you could talk when, when you were here, you said something that really resonated with me. And I, I think about it quite often. And um, it's this notion of a referee versus a coach, right? And, and sometimes I think we, we, we view them as the same or our role. And, but, but just can, can you maybe talk a little bit about the nuances of that, that, that notion? So, so let me hit you with this real quick and then I'll, I'll leave you alone. Um, one, we don't ever want you to leave us alone. Well, well, for thank today. You. For yeah, today. for today. Yeah. So, so one, um, you you make a really good point. A lot of people hear people talk or present, but I want you all to keep this in mind. And I, you already got this, but I'm just reminding what you already know. We hear so many people. Talk, I remember I was talking to this chief, and he said he had to give a speech. He said, Man, "I'm gonna I'm gonna tell these people this and tell them that." I said, "Chief, how many speeches have you heard? Oh, hundreds, hundreds." I said, "How many do you remember?" I don't really and, and so as a leader, a friend, a supervisor, a husband, dad, cousin, nephew, sister, if you don't leave someone with something, you actually failed them. So for you to say you remember the coach and the ref, and I'm saying that to say that's when you listen, you observe, you value and empower, you're gonna, you're gonna, they're gonna, people are gonna tell you what's important to them, and you're gonna be able to leave them something. So back to the coach and the ref. Um, I think we're so we're so, you know, a coach nurtures a coach develops a coach cultivates a coach loves a ref by design maintains order a ref throws flags implicitly a ref penalizes exclusively and if we're not careful if we stop loving or we're giving her energy away to wrong stuff then we get around the people that we're supposed to be patient with which a coach has and empathetic which a coach has a great good coach then all we're going to be doing is reffing we don't get C's in this house. Why didn't you get this right? Or what is this? Like we talked about the what and the why. A coach is a why person. A ref is a what person. And even referees don't like other referees. And, and so at the end of a great game, you'll see a coach getting carried off the field on the player's shoulders. You'll see a ref getting carried off the field on a stretcher. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 in the midst of, of, of running an organization or a family or whatever your, your, your consideration is, you need a referee because you need structure. So, that they, they, they play a vital role. You need a coach because you need compassion. But a, coach can, but a coach can ref, but a ref can never coach. As well said, Chief. I know that Chris can probably connect with that big because Chris has a big portfolio of coaching, you know, soccer and other sports. And I know that probably resonated with him big time. So I appreciate you sharing that with us again, Chief. I want to ask, Chief, we got one last thing. We do this with each of our guests. But I would imagine what we're going to ask you and the feedback you're about to give is you're going to inspire probably a lot of other Chiefs out there and say a lot of great things because, uh, you know, just how influential you are. And we always ask our guests, what is your developmental diet? What are you feeding yourself every day, physically, mentally, spiritually, um, even nutritiously? Like, what are you doing every day to be ready and to be able to influence others, to teach others and mentor others? May it be the books or exercising your faith, whatever it is, what are you doing every single day to be user? So my faith, my faith is very important to me. Um, that's, that's something that it's my foundation. And, and, and um, like Paul said, you know, that's where the love comes from. 
Um, you know, the greatest leader I ever studied, he loved people. He didn't have a title. So, so my thing is, if, if we just, if we make our lives, you know, you follow those people, those attributes that you like. So, you know, through faith or practical examples in my life, and even what you guys are doing, they're principles that correspond with what I believe in. I will take to my grave and beyond. So I think that's important. Um, I try to exercise most days, but I've been slipping on that. So I'm not going to lie to you guys and I'm actually going to be eating some stuff, but you know, I, I learned some stuff. You guys, <laughs> eat, um, you guys eat asparagus. <laughs> I love asparagus. I smoked, I smoked the asparagus on the chair. But I, I never knew until recently that asparagus, it, it lingers with you, you know, when you. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, the next day. <laughs> And, yeah. and I'm, I, I got to be honest with you. So I'm trying to expand it, Kayla, what I can do. But I was like, hey, what? am I dying here? I, yeah, I just well, felt like, I'm, you know, <laughs> is, this, this, is this all coming out of me? But somebody oh. told me it's normal. They have some, you know, nutritional, and, you know, yep. you know, properties and stuff. But I said, you sure? Because that, that don't seem natural. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so anyway, I, I try to, I'm trying to eat better, you know, my, my, you know, my fitness and, and my faith and my family. And, and you guys are part of my family because Allison, I mean, you know, the second time y'all had me come up there, I didn't want to come, but when, when Chief Hurt called, I said, well, I can't tell him or y'all know. He, he, he pulled the brother card on me, you know. He Caucasian, he just light skin. he my brother, man. He just, you know, he just lighted me. So, so that, that's my regimen, my faith, my family, trying to eat better, and then uh, the fitness part, so. And, and then connecting, and the other part I'll leave you with is, even though we're disconnected by, you know, several time zones and, and, and um, you know, times a day or whatever, this, I, I, I feel better by talking to you. I feel enriched. And I just want to encourage your listeners to get out there and just find a creative way to reach out because we need each other. And um, like I tell people, when you share, when you share your life with people, your pains are half, but your joys are doubled. So that's how we get through stuff. Yeah. That's uh, that we're gonna. I'm gonna close, and we're not gonna give you an opportunity to judo it back on us and <laughs> and give us the credit. So we're gonna give you a little credit. Um, again, we really appreciate you coming on and um, sharing some of your journey with us and your thoughts on, um, on everything, on life, on love, on endurance. Um, you know, when, when we when we toss your name around, it's it's with love, and um, you, you've been here twice, and we we appreciate it, and coming on a third time is huge. We know time is valuable. And we always talk about how that's the one thing you can't get back. Um, and, and this is so important to Chris. Chris came back on at, on his iPhone, right? Yeah. He had an appointment. So um, really, Chief, uh, from, from us at Unfiltered Leadership, uh, Chris, Kalen, and Paul, we appreciate you. And um, we hope to have you on. Thanks a lot. Much love. Take care, fellas. Peace and blessings. All right, Chief. All right.